So Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the memory verse for this evening's launch of Vacation Bible School. The verse the children will learn has a variant translation that goes like this. I have come so they may have life. I want them to have it in the fullest possible way. Of course, that's not enough, so we add other adjectives, say, get amped up and all that kind of thing, so kids can really understand it. And then we give them sugar so that they can really <laughs> experience the fullness of life. And you're welcome to join us anytime this week from 5.15 to, 5.15 to 8, no, 5, 5.30 to 8.15. Thank you. I'm glad someone was paying attention at the orientation the other night. I don't know about you, but the possibility that we might live a more full life may not appeal to all of us today. We have all that we can handle. And the thought of adding more, more activities, more responsibilities, more stuff, sounds daunting and unwanted. Some think the life Jesus speaks of here is promised after death, that is, eternal life, the gift of life eternal or, or the taking on of immortality at death. But like other scholars, I don't think Jesus referred to life in that sense as much as he was referring to life lived here and now in the present while it may be forever, especially in light of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, his emphasis was on the kind or quality of life that we can choose to live because of our faith in God, by putting our faith and trust wholly in God. In this respect, I'd like to, I liken it to the difference between starting to wake up from a deep sleep and becoming fully awake. You know that feeling of coming awake and wondering, where am I? What just happened? What day is it? Or if it's like me on a Sunday morning, what time is it? <laughs> Did I miss the 8 o'clock service? <laughs> During this in-between state of consciousness, again, I don't know about you, but I've experienced some extraordinary achievements. Some of my best sermons have been written during this time. Of course, they never make it onto the page. Um, I've rescued many people from perilous situations. I've given excellent advice and counsel that people have thanked me for profusely. I've solved complicated world problems. I've climbed arduous mountain peaks. I've survived a shipwreck, and I've hit a walk-off home run. I've lived some incredible moments between consciousness and unconsciousness. That is, until I was fully awake and had to adjust to the reality of consciousness. I won't even go into the dark side of things that we can imagine. I think Jesus invites us to become fully alive through life and faith in him versus living an ordinary or limited life. 
are following the pattern of this world. And the way Jesus does this is he draws a comparison between himself and the leaders of his day by use of a parable. And when people fail to get what he meant, he then offers an explanation to make it perfectly clear. When drawing a contrast between false and true leaders, using the imagery of shepherds, you would then expect him to say, by comparison, I'm the true shepherd. But instead, the first thing Jesus says is, I am the gate. By this, does Jesus mean he's the gate to the sheep as one who has God's authority to lead people? Or does he mean he is the gate used by the sheep to go in and out, giving people protection from those who would do them harm, providing them freedom and necessary nourishment and sustenance? In the same way we speak of fake news, Jesus spoke of fake leaders or false leaders. People who claimed to be responsible for the guidance and care of people, but did just the opposite. You can tell a true king, a true leader, the same way you can a true shepherd. It's possible to get people to follow you, to lead a cause with a sense of power and influence. But the sign of a true king is a response that comes from the heart. You just know it rings true. Jesus says, this is who I am, and this is what I do. People hear my words, they believe me, and they find, as a result, they have unhindered access to God. They're able to meet their greatest need in life through, um, through fellowship and relationship with God that comes through me, Jesus said. Like thieves and robbers who come with ulterior motives, leaders, fake false leaders, are takers. They do not serve the good of the people, they serve themselves. Jesus, on the other hand, has come to give. He's the kind of leader, the kind of savior who gives life by giving his own life. Now that's good news for people who live in a world that takes more than it gives, a world full of put-downs and disappointments, a world racked by racism and violence, a world of abuse and misconduct, a world of economic impoverishment and injustice a world that separates a child from his or her parent, a world of fear and anxiety. That's the world most of us live in. This past week, the Centers for Disease, and Control, Disease Control and Prevention reported that suicide is now a major health crisis. It's increased by almost 30% in the United States since 1999. And this news was punctuated by two celebrities who took their own lives in the same week. 
Clearly, our country and our communities need more people who know what it means to be life givers, who can speak words of life and, and speak a breath of God that gives hope. Like Jesus said of religious leaders in his day, there are factors that contribute to the threat of people's overall well-being and feeling like they have access to God in anything good. Factors such as depression, severe loss, sickness, addictions, and social isolation, just to name a few. But compare that with a story I remember I heard in January of this past year on the CBS Morning News. The story of a remarkable teacher at Marsh Point Elementary School in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Like all good teachers, she paid attention to her students and noticed that one of them was not doing well. Troy Volk spent mornings sometimes just completely shut down and unable to function in her classroom. So she contacted Troy's mom to see if there had been any changes at home that might account for Troy's disposition. It was then that Donna Hoagland, the teacher, learned from Troy's mom, Anna Hita, that she had stage five kidney failure and was sick most every day. And what made her situation dire was the fact that Anna had a rare blood type and the prospects of receiving a new kidney were slim. As it turns out, the teacher had the same rare blood type. And without Troy's family's knowledge, she spent a few months researching how to become a kidney donor. And then she called Anna for a parent-teacher conference. She told Anna she wanted to donate her kidney. And the transplant took place over the Christmas break, and by January, both donor and patient were doing well. When the interviewer asked Troy what the significance of this meant for him, here's what he said. The one thing I love about my mom's kidney transplant is that we, are, we all get in on the gift, the same gift. It's not a gift that can be wrapped in a present. It's like a miracle. A perfect match is a miracle. I love the fact that he sees it as a gift, and he didn't put the emphasis on the one who gave the gift. It's just that he received a gift of life by his mom getting a gift of a new kidney. It changed his life. It changed his mom's life. It changed their family's life. And it changed the teacher's life. That's what life-giving living looks like. That's why it's so important and so necessary. It may not be as sacrificial as a transplant or as dramatic as saving another person's life, 
but it's life-giving nonetheless. Every act is life-giving that reflects what Jesus has done for us. Showing someone kindness and encouragement. Giving of your time to listen and offer support when someone's hurting. Writing a note of appreciation and affirmation for something you observe someone else doing. All simple acts, but they're life-giving. And our world moves far too fast, far too uh, trivial. And what matters is such life-giving moments. When we gather for memorial services and remember someone's life, that's what we commemorate. That's what we celebrate, is how they gave life to others, how they lived a life of faith and relationship to Christ and reflected his character, his life in this world. I don't know whether Donna Hoagland is a Christian or not. I could have tried to find out, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. You can be a life giver without being a Christian or a person of faith. But one thing I'm convinced of, you cannot be a follower of Christ without reflecting his life-giving power and his life-giving source and love in this world. And that's what we're invited to do. All who have life in him and have it to the fullest. Amen.